everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Coban. It's April 23, 2021, and this is Lift and Learn episode 32. In this episode, I'll be breaking down how to build muscle and lose fat at the same time, and the best warm-up you can do. Before that, though, I'll talk a bit about what I've been up to lately, and that might include fitness-related topics, and it might not. If you want to follow me, your host, on Instagram, it's isaiah.copon, and you can also check out my website, isaiahcopon.com. The podcast is on Instagram, at Lift and Learn Podcast, on Twitter, at Lift and Learn Pod, and also on Facebook. You can just search Lift and Learn Podcast. With that being said, let's get into it. So what's up guys, I'm doing the podcast Friday morning this time around, and that's because I actually had a pretty busy week. I'm now back in Canada as I do this podcast, but I'm not at home yet. I'm currently in my Airbnb, and we'll get to that later, but I'm glad to be out of that super priced, sorry, super overpriced three night quarantine hotel. So I flew back to Canada on Monday. So that would make this, well, whenever this podcast goes live or went live, it'll be day five of my 14-day quarantine. And the days aren't going by as slow as I thought they would. And this was my first time booking an Airbnb ever, and I even took an Uber for the first time. (laughs) I know I'm a bit late to the party with those apps. I even used Instacart for the first time ever yesterday too because uh, I needed groceries delivered since I can't leave my place of quarantine until that first Monday in May. And besides that, I had a pretty interesting start to my week to say the least. That was even before I left the US. So a few days before my Monday flight, I was playing around on a bouncy castle sort of thing that was meant for kids and it was pretty fun. That is, until I tried to catch myself from falling by grabbing some handle, and that's where it all went downhill. I overextended my arm over my head while falling and grabbing onto that handle, and I knew instantly that something was wrong. But I did manage to get to the end and gut it out, but as soon as I exited that bouncy castle or bouncy house or whatever, something was definitely wrong with my shoulder. Luckily, I was surrounded by a lot of smart people, and it was pretty clear that I dislocated my left shoulder. After some ice and ibuprofen and a little bit of tequila, I'm now sitting on the couch with a specialized doctor who was going to put my shoulder back into its socket, basically. Sorry for the visual with that one. But anyways, he did a great job. Popped it in after a few minutes of tweaking, so I just want to thank him for that. He explained the area so scientifically, mentioning how the trapezius muscles and acromion and pectoral muscles come into play when dealing with an injury like this, since honestly I couldn't even stand up straight without any pain. Long story short, yeah, he was uh, gently moving my arm around for a few minutes, 
until my shoulder just gently popped back into place. He mentioned that there were two methods to put it back in. There's one, the way he did it, where you just gently try to finesse the shoulder back into place with minimal movements until the muscles and stuff, they just get back into place. Or method two, which is what I was expecting him to do and what you might have seen on TV or something where they just forcefully snap it back into place. Well, without anesthesia, method two wasn't really a good idea, so I'm glad we ended up going with the easier method. I felt an instant pain of relief when the shoulder was back in its proper place. So again, I want to thank that doctor who doesn't listen to my podcast, but I just had to put it out there because I'm so thankful for that. Especially since I was a Canadian in the USA and didn't want to pay for some crazy medical bills. So I dislocated my shoulder and he said that after three weeks or so, I should start doing some kind of rehab. It's been almost one week now, and honestly, it's still pretty painful, and I can't do much with it. The bad news is that, yeah, I'm now going to have to recover from this injury after such a good training run for the past few months. The good news is, though, that the gyms aren't open anyway, and I'm in lockdown, so it's not like I'm missing out on precious gym time right now or anything like that. Honestly, I'm just trying to look at this injury in a positive way because I fractured my thumb a few years ago and that really bummed me out and brought me down to a dark place. So I'm trying to spin this injury in a positive way, although it is pretty upsetting to me that I won't really be able to train for a few months, even if it's just at home. But I think I'll be able to recover properly and I hope to be back in prime form before the end of the year. Now that I do have this injury though, I have no choice but to work on lower body exercises and put more focus towards lacking areas like abs and probably the core as a whole for the next few months. I'm going to be working on that along with this recovery for my shoulder. I really hope it's not a lingering thing that I have to deal with forever though, so I have to make sure to recover properly and not rush things. For those who were tired of hearing my lifting PRs and my opening talks though, yeah, you won't be hearing about that for a while, that's for sure. And also, I had a dream last night where I was actually bench pressing and then I woke up this morning and like my shoulder was in so much pain. (laughs) I just missed the bench already, it hasn't even been a week. Oh no, it has been a week at this point. Alright, so let me tell you about what it's like traveling back to Canada. Honestly, the process is pretty straightforward. So first off, you needed a COVID test 72 hours before you get into Canada. And there's probably a little bit of leeway there. So I got my test on Friday morning and wouldn't land into Canada until Monday night. So I thought this might cause a bit of a problem. Well, when I was leaving my first destination... The lady at the desk had to do some work trying to figure out if the test would be valid. And after about 10 or 15 minutes of calling around, she said I was good to go, thankfully. So leaving wasn't that bad. And then I had a stopover in Atlanta where I ended up going for two rounds of 20-piece nuggets since I was there for five hours. Okay, so at that point, my next flight was into Toronto. So they had to make sure I had my passport, my negative COVID test, 
this Arrive Can app completed. They checked my temperature and then I was good to fly home. So I boarded that flight. Then when I landed in Canada, here's where all the precautionary measures or whatever you want came into play. Usually I think you just have to talk to customs and then you'd be good to go. So as soon as I got off the plane, actually one of the co-workers saw my arm in a sling and asked if I dislocated my shoulder, so good guess. And I was like, yeah. And he told me he did the same thing and that I'll be back to normal soon. So that was some good news when I got uh, when I landed. But anyways, first stop this time around when I landed was some machine where you had to scan your passport, pretty regular stuff. They asked the typical questions, like if you have COVID symptoms or whatever. After that, I had to talk to two of those custom agents at the same time. Then, after more walking, I had to register for some health, I don't know what it was called now, health something website, health safe, I'm not sure. Not really that important for the listeners out there. And then this nurse gave me this kit that I had to walk over to the next area. And there I had to blow my nose and had my nasal swab because they test you if you fly in now to Canada. And this test was one of the easier ones I had to take. The previous three COVID tests I had to take were those nasal swabs where they had to get all the way up there to the point of your eyes watering. So this one at the airport was just in the nose and no further. And basically I had to wait until that test comes back negative before I leave the hotel quarantine. And after that was done, another guy gave me a COVID test that I have to take home and do on day 10 of my quarantine. And then I have to think, uh, uh, sorry, I have to wait for that one to come negative before I leave my other 14-day quarantine. Jesus, I know, so much testing. By this point, it's already about 12.30 a.m. I'm at the airport. I grab my bags off the line, and then I apparently have to find my own way to the hotel, since the shuttle buses don't run that late, of course. I ended up getting a taxi a few minutes later, got to the hotel. Almost done. Final step, I got into the hotel. And since I had to stay in the hotel for three nights, I had to choose my meals for the next three days. And that included some fruit for breakfast and chicken and salmon for the other two meals of the day. And this hotel room was basically a prison since I couldn't even leave the room and I had to actually ask permission to leave or go outside for 15 minutes, which is supervised. On top of that, I woke up to some snow on the ground uh, one of these mornings. Man, come on Canada, it's almost May at this point and it's still snowing. I didn't mind the hotel for three days, but if I ended up having to stay there for 14 days, I'd probably lose my mind. On top of all of that, the Wi-Fi was pretty bad for any of my gaming purposes, so that was another thing I didn't like. So on Thursday, which was yesterday for me, I left the hotel since my COVID test was negative, and I went home for a few minutes since no one was home, and then I decided to walk to my Airbnb. Now, I looked this up on Google Maps, I looked up the walking directions for this trip, and it said it would take an hour and six minutes to get there by walking. And that already felt long enough, but I hadn't been walking for the past few days, so I figured this could be my form of exercise to kind of make up for the past few days. 
Well, let me tell you, that was probably the hardest workout I've done in a long time. So I did go home to drop off one of my luggages, but during this walk, I still had my gym bag with me, along with one luggage, which probably weighed around 60 pounds. And also, like, the handle that extends, that was broken, so I had to actually, like, oh my god, it was just a, it was a mission. So I decided to do this hour walk with my gym bag, my luggage, and my dislocated shoulder. So my right hand pretty much had to be a beast for the whole walk, lugging around all of that. Well, I said Google Maps told me the walk was a little bit over an hour for the walk. Well, with that extra baggage I had with me, that walk ended up being almost an hour 45 minutes. Oh my god, that was seriously like, I almost quit halfway through <laughs> but I did sleep like a baby that night besides my aching shoulder pain when I woke up and like I said I had that dream of bench pressing and I woke up with my shoulder in so much pain so yeah now situated in my little cute Airbnb and that was basically how my week went so yeah, I managed to finally get back into Canada successfully after a few attempts, and that's a bit of a beater. Beater? That's a bit of a bittersweet moment for me. Some good news is that I can finally watch The Office again without having to buy another streaming service like Peacock. And also Disney Plus added their new star portion, which has a few more shows to watch too. And I don't know if you heard this, but... Amazon is preparing to have their new killer show for their platform, Lord of the Rings. Honestly, I wasn't a huge fan of the movies. I just did still watch them in the theaters, but I'll be watching the show whenever that comes out just to give it a chance. Apparently, Amazon is going to be spending $650 million for season one of this Lord of the Rings adaptation, which is insane. That's a huge budget for the show, and... That's only for one season, and it looks like they'll be filming this in New Zealand. For comparison's sake, the most expensive season of Game of Thrones was only $100 million. So this'll definitely be pretty theatrical, I feel like. They're definitely betting big on this series, and they might as well since Game of Thrones was a huge success, and the movies were also big when those came out, I mean the Lord of the Rings movies. And Amazon has so much money to spend, so they're not really losing out on spending big with this one. The upside for them is huge here. One more thing about upcoming shows is one coming to Disney+. And this one's from Marvel, and it's called Secret Invasion. So we already know a few roles for this show. We got Samuel L. Jackson, who will be Nick Fury. Ben Mendelsohn will be playing Skrull Talos, like he did in Captain Marvel. And Amelia Clark will also reportedly be in on the show as well. You might know her as Khaleesi from Game of Thrones. I don't know much about this show, but the plot does involve some kind of aliens who have been infiltrating Earth for years. So a typical plot line you might have heard before, so we'll have to see how this one plays out. Back to some fitness news for the week. I'm sure you've heard about Peloton at this point. They're one of the major makers of at-home fitness machines, but this week they're in the not-so-good spotlight. So they have this machine, the Tread Plus, which is a $4,000 treadmill, and the U.S. government has actually come out to say to stop using this machine. 
And that's because there have been 39 accidents with this treadmill because some children have reportedly been getting trapped or pinned and pulled under the machine. Now, the CEO has reiterated his own statement saying that properly using the safety key and keeping this machine away from kids under 16-year-olds and pets is a good thing to do. The thing is, they do have a point, but that's a pretty tough one to deal with since a lot of people are now trying to work out at home. And let's face it, the kids are probably going to be running around the house, so we'll see where this goes. The stock, though, has been going down, if you're following that sort of thing. And one more thing before we get into the fitness topics for today. If you're into gaming and have a PlayStation, this one's for you. Horizon Zero Dawn, which I've read is a pretty good game, and the sequel should be coming soon. Well, that game is now available for free with Sony's Play at Home 2021 promotion. I'm not sure if that's PS5 only or not. Regardless, I'll probably be playing that one a bit while I'm chilling in this Airbnb for the next few days. Question 1. How to build muscle and lose fat at the same time? So, this is something that a lot of people are after because that's a good plan when it comes to you being healthy overall or preventing yourself from getting sickness and long-lasting diseases and boosting your metabolism so that you're actually able to maintain the weight that you've lost. Now, this is something that some people believe isn't possible because it seems like an impossible feat because you can't just simply turn fat into muscle. This concept of building muscle and losing fat, though, is a lot easier to do under a few conditions. And that's if you're new to working out, if you're an obese or overweight individual, or if you're a detrained individual, which is going to be a camp that I'm going to be in after my so sorry, shoulder recovery and since the gyms are closed. And you're able to build muscle and lose fat at the same time under these conditions best because exercising along with a good diet is going to basically shock your body and it'll respond to it very well. Alright, so you should know first off, building muscle isn't going to take a huge caloric surplus. You don't need to go on a crazy high calorie intake or a dirty bulk. It doesn't take a huge caloric surplus. You don't need that much more calories in your diet to gain muscle. You could just be in a 200 to 500 calorie surplus and find that you're building muscle and losing fat. So when it comes to diet, you need to make sure that you're eating an adequate amount of protein in your diet. Here's a theme for today, track what you're doing. And in this case, track your food. You need to get a good amount of protein to gain muscle or at least maintain what you have. For the most amount of benefit, it would be ideal to get your body weight in pounds and eat that many grams of protein on a daily basis. So take me for example. I weigh around 175 pounds right now. That means to maximize the amount of muscle I can gain, it would be a good idea for me to eat around 175 grams of protein every day to build muscle and lose fat optimally. Now, that's just a basic rule of thumb, and you can definitely get away with eating more or less, and especially if, I mean, say one day you're eating 150 grams, maybe you're eating 190 grams the next day, as long as it averages out to around your body weight, then you should be okay you will probably be able to get away with eating a bit lower protein intake if you're a female 
or if your body weight is on the higher side because you have more energy stores. And you can eat more protein if you'd like if you're a leaner individual. Now, the research isn't exactly along the lines of eating more protein immediately equaling more muscle gain. You're going to have to find out what works best for your own specific body. Alright, so I already mentioned that your calories should be in a bit of a surplus in most cases, and they should at least be at a maintenance level. There's a lot of ways to track your progress when it comes to your body composition. Remember that even if you don't gain muscle, let's say you just maintain your muscle mass while losing body fat, then that means you're actually still progressing in the right way. If you have 20 pounds of muscle and you weigh 170 pounds, and then you lose 10 pounds and still have that same 20 pounds of muscle, then that means you ultimately have more muscle mass and lean body mass and you lost some body fat in the process. Another example would be something like, uh, let's say you're 170 pounds now and in a month you're still 170 pounds. It seems like you made no progress. But let's say you're tracking your progress even more diligently and using calipers. So those are tools that you can use to measure how much body fat you have in any particular area with skinfold measurements. So let's say you're 170 pounds on April 2nd and 170 pounds a month later on May 2nd. But if you use those calipers and your skinfold measurements are actually less than before, then there's a really good chance that you increased muscle mass and lost body fat regardless of what the scale says. Muscle and fat look completely different on your body, and you can easily look this up on Google if you want to. Just go look at the difference between a 170-pound person at 20% body fat and another 170-pound person at 10% body fat. They're going to look significantly different. So just because your number on the scale might not move, doesn't mean that you're not making any progress or losing fat and building muscle. And that's why tracking is going to be so important when it comes to what you're eating and when it comes to tracking your body composition and with your training. So that means increasing in strength in most cases. So if you're going to be exercising as well, which is a good idea if you're looking at uh, losing the most amount of body fat while gaining muscle, then you need to make sure that you're working out and progressing. And this is why tracking what you're doing is important. I preach it all the time when it comes to food, but it's also important if we're talking about workouts as well. I used to be that guy in the gym who just went in there and basically just guessed what I would do that day. And I did make some progress that way, but if you want to make more progress and progress that you're able to look back on and see exactly how you're improving, then you need to track your workouts. I've mentioned it on here a few times already that I use an app called Gymbook, but you can use whatever app you want. There's a bunch out there. Or I still see people in the gym using the old school method of just using pen and paper, whatever works for you. And I mention tracking your workouts all the time because I personally swear by it. Tracking it however you want is going to be so useful for you. If 2020 taught me anything, it's that tracking was so important. With COVID all up and about, uh, the amount of times last year where I had to start training, stop training, start training, stop training because of lockdowns and restrictions was way too many times. 
was working out for three months, then had to stop for four months, then started up again for two months, then stopped for a few weeks, then started up again until this past weekend. You get my point. Trekking was so important at these times, because if not, then I probably would have failed a bunch of lifts, uh, because I would probably think I was stronger than I thought I was when I went back into the gym, because of all the time off, even though I was still doing home workouts. So, alright, how to build muscle and lose fat at the same time. To summarize what I said so far, in terms of diet, calorie-wise, it's a good idea to be in a little bit of a surplus. Maybe 200 to 500 calories. Especially if you're working so that you can gain muscle mass along with losing body fat. And yeah, I know what you're going to say. If you're in a caloric surplus, won't that mean you'll gain weight? Well, yeah. If you're not being active, then that's going to be true. But if you're in a tiny surplus, along with adding exercise and even some walking and movement into your daily routine, then you'll be gaining muscle along with losing body fat. And the muscle you'll gain should also increase your metabolism. That means you'll be able to eat more, basically, while maintaining or losing weight. Now, in terms of exercise, track your progress and make sure that you're getting stronger while you focus on doing compound movements. Now, losing body fat along with gaining muscle is a kind of body recompositioning. And this can also happen if you currently haven't been training or eating properly, like I said earlier. Again, it comes down to diet and exercise. Of course, sleep is also another factor that could help in this situation because that helps optimize things and keeps yourself working at the highest of your ability. Ultimately though, if you're eating properly, that means eating a high amount of protein, eating whole foods, and building strength with exercise, then you should be on your way to building muscle and losing fat at the same time. You just need to be consistent with all of that to the best of your ability. I've seen this time and time again with my clients who tell me that they want to lose weight. The thing is, what people really want is to lose that unwanted body fat. Now, clients usually give me a target weight that they want to get to. For example, they want to lose 20 pounds or so. While I explain what I just said, I basically just say that to them. And some of them are pretty skeptical because it doesn't really make sense to them. But after just a few months of training this way and being consistent with their diet, they tell me that they're still pretty far from their goal weight. Maybe they've lost only half of what they wanted to lose at this point. Maybe their goal was to lose 20 pounds, but at this point they've only lost 5 or 10 pounds. But then they tell me things like they've never looked so skinny or lean at this body weight before. They tell me things like, oh my god, I've never looked this good at so and so weight. And that's just because of what I said earlier. Muscle and fat appear differently on the body. This is another reason why progress photos are going to help you as well. Like I said, 20% body fat at 150 pounds is going to look a lot different than 10% body fat at the same weight, 150 pounds. So if you're exercising properly and eating properly, then you'll be on your way to gaining muscle and losing body fat at the same time. And those results could blow you away, especially if you're experiencing it for the first time. Question 2. What's the best warm-up to do? Now, first off, 
me telling you the perfect warm-up through the podcast isn't actually going to work. I hate to break it to you, but there really isn't a warm-up that's going to be perfect or suitable for everybody. The warm-up is meant to warm up your body and get your body prepared for your workout. But you also have to take into account the weaknesses you might have, so that's obviously going to be different from person to person. The warm-up is also going to be different depending on what body parts you'll be working out during that session as well. You're not going to find a perfect warm-up video out there, whether that be on YouTube or anywhere else, because it's going to be different for everybody, and I might have to repeat that statement multiple times. First, you need to figure out which spots you're weak in. If you're tight in your adductors, then obviously you're going to have to warm up that area first. If your knees collapse during squat or something, then maybe something along the lines of tube walking and band abductor and adductor exercises could help you there. If you want to target more glutes in the squat or something, then some kind of bridge exercise would be good to have in your warm-up to wake up and activate and feel it in the area when you're squatting. The goal of the warm-up is to prepare your mind and body for the upcoming workout no matter how intense the workout may be. That means it would be ideal to do something that'll raise your heartbeat before anything else, just to give your body a signal that you're going to be working out and that'll start to get your blood circulated throughout your body. The first thing you should be doing to raise your heart rate a bit is something like the treadmill or the Stairmaster on just a low intensity for anywhere between 3 to 10 minutes. For me, I do it around 3 to 5 minutes and I spend that time getting mentally prepared and making sure my workout numbers are going to be appropriate for that day's lift using that gym book app that I always talk about. So if I'm doing upper body that day, I think about how I'm feeling and adjust my numbers for bench or rows for that day. If you're an athlete or want something a little more high intensity for the warm up, you can do something like high knees, butt kicks, and movements like hurdles, which will warm up your hips as well. I learned this one from track and field back in high school, and I still do these when I'm doing my lower body exercises. In my gym, thankfully, they have a dedicated area where you can do sled pulls and things of that nature, so I'll actually go through a warm-up like this on most of my leg days. Dynamic stretches are going to be key when it comes to warming up, not static stretches. I've been through the differences of the two before. Static stretches are stretches where you generally will hold a position for 10 to 30 seconds. Something like a quad stretch would be balancing on one leg and bringing the other leg back and using your hand to hold it up there. Those can be done, but they shouldn't be a main focus in your warm-up. And if you do do them, then don't hold the stretch for a long time uh, and don't do them too intensely. That's going to stretch out the muscle too much and could affect your workout in a negative way when it comes to strength movements. Dynamic movements are what you should be doing instead. That means things like arm circles, shoulder dislocates, which are my favorite, no pun intended there. Now, these may be tough for you, shoulder dislocates, the actual exercise, but what you do for that exercise is you grab like a long bar, hold it out, and you're going to bring it behind you carefully, like over your head, while keeping your arms extended. 
and then you just bring them back to the front. It's tough to explain that one through audio, so you can just check out uh, what shoulder dislocates are on YouTube or something. You can also do things like arm swings, and for lower body, you can do things like a 90-90 stretch, which is good for your hips, or I think doing uh, some yoga flowy type of movements will work there as well. I do that sometimes. So when it comes to doing a warm-up before you work out, it's not the best idea to just do 5 to 10 minutes of the treadmill, then just go straight into your workout. I do still think doing the treadmill or whatever kind of low-intensity cardio is a good idea, just to get in the right headspace at least. But after that, it would be a good idea to do movements that'll help you do your exercises before you get into those compound movements in the workout. And that concludes episode 32 of the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you really enjoyed the episode or my podcast as a whole, then please leave a review and comment on iTunes or whatever your choice of podcast platform is. Also, if you haven't already, you should hit that subscribe button because I'll be releasing episodes every Friday. If you want to follow me, your host, I'm Isaiah.Copon on Instagram. And you can also check out my website, IsaiahCopon.com. If you want to follow the podcast, you can check out at Lift and Learn Podcast on Instagram. And there's also a Facebook page if you just search Lift and Learn Podcast. Again, thanks for listening. And be sure to tune in next week with another episode where I'll be talking about the biggest issue in health these days and food as medicine.